Today's episode of On Shuffle is brought to you by YouTube Music. YouTube Music is a new app that combines everything you expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring everything to life. With YouTube Music Premium, you'll get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Finally, get music whenever you want it, even if you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then just pay $9.99 a month. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of On Shuffle is also brought to you by Musician. Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Let the Musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives feedback on your accuracy and timing. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Micah Peters, a staff writer at The Ringer, where apparently we put on our own original music. If you haven't yet, you should absolutely go listen to Hallelujah, um, a song by our very own Isaac Lee uh, about Luka Doncic, who plays for the Dallas Mavericks. Go get that. Uh, but that's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're actually going to be talking about the new Mariah Carey album, her first in four years with my colleague Lindsay Zolads. And then, and then, and then, and then, we are bringing back the recommendation segment. This time, I'm going to be joined by Paul Thompson, who writes for Vulture about the week's best rap releases. So naturally, that's what we're going to talk about. But first, the Mariah Carey album. Thanksgiving is over, which means that if you go outside now, the probability of hearing at least one song off of Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas is exactly one. But over a career spanning 30 years, Carey's had 18 number one singles, and All I Want for Christmas is You is just one of them. She's just put out Caution, her 15th studio album, and her first in four years. So a natural question might be, is there another number one on it? Probably not. But today I'll talk to my colleague Lindsay Zolas, who wrote about the album for TheRinger.com, great website, about how that probably doesn't matter. Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So my first question is, can you explain the glitter phenomenon? Like, I'm talking about the accompanying soundtrack to the panned and maybe if you ask her for her fans, like misunderstood 2001 movie that rocketed back up to the top of the iTunes charts this month. Yes. So Mariah Carey's fans who called themselves the Lambly, like <laughs> lambs, but family, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, they, <laughs> the week before Caution, her new record came out, they launched this online campaign called Hashtag Justice for Glitter that resulted in enough people buying glitter on the iTunes store that it briefly... Uh, was the number one soundtrack on iTunes. Um, did not stay there <laughs> for very long. <laughs> and also, it should be noted that uh, Glitter was on sale for $4.99. <laughs> so it was not like a huge financial burden. Um, but it did happen. And I I got to, I read, as I wrote about in the piece, I saw her 
do a live interview um, that very night at Genius Headquarters here in Brooklyn. And it was very validating to see um, her sort of process that reaction and and the the long game of this flop and this album that really almost destroyed her career, as she said, uh, <laughs> kind of get its moment in the sun. Yeah, you you did go to that uh, that recent Q and A in Brooklyn and uh, with with Genius, and uh, you wrote about that. But what was like? And this, I understand that this is a difficult thing to get into, like one kind of concise thought. But like, what was the tone of the event? It was really interesting. It the main focus of it was on Mariah, the songwriter, which I think is is really. Even for myself, um, I have to admit, a secondary thing that I think about with her, it's, you know, it's all about the voice and the octave range and the whistle register. That's what people tend to think of first. But she writes all of her own songs, and she's frankly written, I think, some of the most enduring sort of new standards of the last couple decades. She talked about, you know, you mentioned All I Want for Christmas is You, And she talked about how people often think that's a cover and they'll be like, who did the original of that? And she's like, me, Mariah Carey, she wrote it. Um, And I think there's just, it's harder to talk about songwriting and and it's something that happens more behind the scenes than the performance. But I think the the point of the event, and I think in a lot of ways, the, the promotional tour that she's on right now is trying to talk more about her identity as a songwriter and more about her catalog, which frankly is almost unrivaled in the history of not just the past few decades, but all of pop music. She's had, I believe, more number ones than than anyone. She had a number one single in every year of the 1990s. That's incredible. So I think she there's a lot about her that's easy to take for granted. There's a lot about her image that I think it's kind of easy to dismiss, but she really seems right now to be focused on talking about the artistry and trying to move the conversation away from her diva behavior a little bit and back towards the the songcraft of of what she does. Right. A lot of the playing into the the diva persona. You also oh, yeah. mentioned and we love the, the diva persona yeah, too. No, no shots. The 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 guardian profile was just Yeah. The the I bathe in milk one was I mean like a whole other thing. Did you get to read the the pitchfork interview that recently came out? I did, out? yeah. It was great. Yeah, she was talking about uh again more to your point about the songwriting, she was saying that, you know, like when she was singing back up for Brenda K. Starr and mm-hmm. she wanted to, you know, sing a couple of her songs and she was thinking about the Beatles and their publishing and she was just like, you know what, I'm just going to keep my own songs. And, you know. Which turned out to be an incredibly financially savvy move for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to to have that, business savvy at the age of 18 or whenever she made that decision to not give her songs away to other people and essentially keep the rights to them and the rights to her catalog. That is a rare confidence for a young female artist who had a lot of pressure on her and and control exerted from more powerful authority figures and male authority figures in the music industry early on. So I do think that's that's very cool that she was able to to do that. 
Also, another thing about this, you know, focus on songwriting or her abilities as a songwriter is because, and you mentioned this too, just because the voice is like a human instrument. It is, it can Mm -hmm. decay. And the biggest, you know, instance of that, I mean, like there've been three prior years of live performance footage to sift through for, for all these something, but the most... The shambolic one, I guess, would be the 2016 New Year's Eve debacle. Um, oh, yeah. And this is the first album since that. Um, does it feel like there's something she needs to prove on Caution? Well, I think, first of all, with the New Year's Eve performance, you know, we're still talking about it right now. And if she had pulled off, you know, just a technically proficient performance without a hitch, it wouldn't have been the thing people were talking about two and three days into the new year. It was it was a spectacle for better and for worse. But I think there is an element of that messiness in a way that people uh, just the, I don't know, I guess I keep coming back to the word spectacle with her. That just feels like what people want from Mariah. And sometimes it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> and But I, I think... Too the it's a I don't want to get too much into the New Year's Eve performance, but I think there's a certain like she was singing or was supposed to sing to a backing track, and you know for whatever reason her monitor wasn't working or something like that, so she decided she wasn't gonna half-ass it and instead just would not sing at all. And there's something to that, and there's a an idea of kind of the the control that she has over her image and her career, she would rather just stand there (laughs) bantering (laughs) while this track plays behind her than to risk giving a weak vocal performance, which, to be fair, she has done at times in the the past few years. But, um, you know, she I think she's someone at the end of the day that she's a perfectionist and she has this voice and this songwriting gift that in a lot of ways is is just incredibly rare. And I think she holds herself to an incredibly high standard as well as her audience and a lot of her haters do, too. <laughs> uh, how is this album different from the one that came before, aside from, like, how restrained the title is? For reference, mm. uh, yeah. Carrie's 2014 album was titled I Am Me, <laughs> Mariah, The Elusive Chanteuse. <laughs> Still an all-time album title for me. And just the punctuation, like, I am me, period. Period. Mariah, dot, dot, dot. Ellipsis. Yeah. It's yeah. just... <laughs> that's, that's the diva we want. Just, you know, love it. I mean, like, it's it's a kind of title that you, like, are... It's just, like, when you're reading it, it's exactly, like, the gif that is everybody's Mariah gif. Which is just, you have to be putting your sunglasses on as mm. you say the title. Totally. Um... How is Caution different from that album? Well, that album, which came out in 2014, I think was really underrated. And I do wish that it got a little bit more play and just had some more commercial success because I think she was on a really good track there. There's that great song with Miguel, Beautiful, that I I wish was a bigger hit because it's just classic throwback Mariah. Breezy, 
fun summer jam. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do great commercially, which again, her standards are so high because she has 18 number one songs. So if something only does like middlingly okay, then it's seen as a failure to her or in, you know, in Mariah world. So I really liked that record. It was very sprawling and expansive and was trying on a lot of different styles that I think she excelled at. It felt like a very mature record for her that wasn't necessarily trying to tap into the trends on the radio or anything. It just felt like, again, the song with Miguel felt like a classic, like it could have come out any time in the last 40 years. And this record feels, Caution, feels more like it's playing to the moment and calling in some producers and rappers and guest stars who are younger than Mariah and and popular now and kind of know the sound of how to get a song on the radio. But at the same time, there's definitely a, an element of nostalgia to this record too, which I think works really well. I mean, there's there's a verse from Slick Rick yeah, this record. There's, I mean, the gunna is on this record. Also, this is the uh, the last album was released on Def Jam. This was released on Epic, which is um, kind of the the younger label. Like the it's geared towards the youth, so to speak. But speaking to what you were talking about, the producers that she brought in, I mean, Pooh Bear, Lido, DJ Mustard, uh, 1985, who produced mm-hmm. Hotline Bling for Drake, No ID. Blood Orange Skrillex is on here producing that uh the Ty Dolla Sign collab. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she went all out to yeah. to kind of, you know, get the youth interested <laughs> in some ways. But but it also feels like there's a maturity to it too and I don't know, it it just it's a good record. I think it's really I I still like Elusive Shantus better, not just title wise (laughs) but I don't think I think this record hits a really good sweet spot where it sounds relevant to what's happening in pop music right now and in R&B and hip-hop but it doesn't feel like it's pandering to be on the radio or to have a hit song um, which I think Mariah knows is probably more difficult for her these days than it would have been you know 15 years ago yeah so here's the doozy what is caution about because <laughs> it begins mm. with uh GTF get the fuck out mm-hmm. uh which is as i said produced by 1985 and ends with portrait which is like a misty introspective number that i guess for lack of a better way to put it talks about a sadness that's difficult to describe um mm-hmm. what is the what is caution about well, i think there's a lot going on on any mariah album and she She's, if you look to every one of her records, Mm -hmm. I think every single one of them ends with the introspective piano ballad. It's almost like her status update. Mm -hmm. It's her really heart wrenching, like, this is how I feel in my soul right now. And it's kind of, those songs are always fan favorites. It's always, you know, her kind of, um, yeah, just taking stock of where she is emotionally right now. So Portrait feels very. Uh, in line with that and, and traditional kind of for the fans. But I think the a lot of the rest of the record, like, it's very sassy. There's a lot of kiss-off breakup songs. I really like a no-no. 
No, no is great. <laughs> yeah, it's and I, I what I like about it. Well, it has a really good, like, well-used sample of Lil Kim's "Crush on You" that just it works. Mariah yeah. can can do that. I mean, like, not it's, everyone can. So it it was just it's very on the nose for Jermaine Dupri to use a, a Lil Kim sample. <laughs> of course, but <laughs> it's if it's for Mariah, anything goes. Sure, but I like the attitude of that song. It's playful, kind of silly. There's a part. At the end where she she's just throughout the song finding all these ways to say no. That's a no. And then she's like, parlez-vous français? I said no. <laughs> like, let me tell you in Spanish. No. Like, and it, it does, I wrote this in the piece that it reminds me a little bit of the classic ODB verse on the fantasy remix where, you know, Japan, yeah. are you in the house? <laughs> Japan, so are you I, in the house? Yeah. yeah. Legendary. Uh, um, so I, I like to hear her having fun. I think she's definitely earned that right. And and it's, you know, it's a little bit of that, like you mentioned, kind of the GIF persona, the sunglass GIF. I think that song sort of plays into that persona and that performance a little bit and that's what makes it feel satisfying and fun we can't just breeze by uh old dirty bastard on the fantasy remix just because (laughs) we need to in the the week leading up to the album's release the first place that i saw it was uh andrew barber fake shore drive shout out andrew barber tweeted like like a screen cap of the story and i had literally never read it before and the Japan Are You in the House song sounds so much like the that line is so much funnier when I know you, I'll never hear it the same way. When <laughs> you realize that ODV like did one line and then took a nap and then did another line and took a nap and said, I'm only doing this once the entire way through. And meanwhile was yelling and stinky and just drunk the entire time. <laughs> and yet that's how you make a classic. A classic. It really, it really holds up. But you can, I, I think that article came out a couple of years ago, but was just getting circulated on Twitter again. So I read it for this piece. And yeah, you can, if you go back and really listen hard in the mix, like you can kind of hear the tape stop and start on his line. <laughs> you know. Oh man. I like also the, the story behind the video shoot is just kind of yeah. like, all right, we got, so do you want us to go buy you some clothes. And he's like, nah, I'm just going to rock these Tims. This is hip hop. And then like falls asleep again <laughs> and wakes up and goes, I don't got no clothes for this video shit. <laughs> and then yeah. he takes the Sony company card to the mall Ugh. and gets his clothes. Yeah. Rest in peace, ODB. Rest in peace, ODB. Man, I, I another... And this is the this, the furthest that I'm going on this ODB tangent. Like my favorite ODB story is about how he got a, he collected a welfare check in the back of a stretch Rolls Royce one time. <laughs> uh, Legend. <laughs> but so in that Pitchfork interview, she also told Ed. Well, she was talking about the ease of collaborating with, say, Blood Orange, which is in stark mm-hmm. contrast to the ODB thing. But on the record, giving me life. What felt like the most natural collaboration to you on the album? Also, which one was the most surprising? Uh, well, the most natural, you know, is probably Jermaine Dupri because she has such a history with him. And, sure. and there are certain producers on this that she's linking back up with. But I think the the surprise for me is the Blood Orange song that Deb Hines works on. And it's called Giving Me Life. Giving me life and it's everything. 
think it's about six minutes long. It's a really sort of shape-shifting, you know, there's like two different parts of it. It feels a little bit more experimental than something we've come to expect from Mariah, but that's kind of the Blood Orange sound. And it made me, that was the song that made me have the most faith in whatever she's going to do next, because I think it shows a certain adventurousness that I would love to see her lean into a little bit more now that she's, you know, not trying to get her 19th number one song because that just feels kind of unrealistic in the way that the industry is right now and the way that her, the the position she has within it. But I would love to see her get even weirder and like lean even more heavily into the kind of atmospheric um, sound of Dev Hines. I would love to see them make a whole record together. I I think that would be awesome. You know what? I Now that you've <laughs> talked about it, it's kind of like I've now gone to the movies to see something and I saw a preview that I really liked. And <laughs> now I'm excited about that movie and not this yeah. one anymore. But so Dev Hines and Mariah Carey, if you're listening. <laughs> if you're listening, please. Um, before we get out of here, though, which is your favorite song on the album, like bar none? Hmm. Possibly giving me life. I do. I really like a no no. Because <laughs> it's just fun. It's it's fun to say. I don't know. It really is fun to say. I think I'm going to go with the distance, probably because mm. I, one, I also just love all things Ty Dolla Sign, but I was surprised to look into the production credits and see that like Skrillex had a hand in it because the song is so defined by restraint. <laughs> yeah, I actually did not see his credit on there at first so I'm glad you pointed that out it's it doesn't sound I don't know how much of a hand he had in it but it does not sound like a Skrillex song which is probably for the best probably for the best but maybe she'll do a Skrillex album too who maybe. knows maybe you know like now that she's not chasing that 19th number one you know like she can do whatever she, she wants she can do whatever she's she free. wants the butterfly can fly free <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay thank you very much for talking to me about this album today yeah thanks for having me of course And now let's take a quick break to talk about Sonos. We're going to talk about the Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. The sound is super rich and clear. You know how they have those Lord of the Rings marathons on network television every year during the Christmas season? You should absolutely have a soundbar to enhance the experience because it'll feel like you're a soldier in the Battle of Helm's Deep. Beam lets you play everything you love, from music and radio to movies, obviously, TV, podcasts, and more. Even use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam. All it takes is one cord to connect Beam to your TV. The Sonos app walks you through the setup step-by-step. And get hands-free control with built-in Alexa. That way, you can start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Plus, When you connect your Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi, you can put speakers in different rooms and listen to two things at the same damn time. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot com. Paul Tyler, 
Thompson once, like as in this October, described late career Kanye West as being like Britney Spears shaving her head if it took two years to do it, and she kept calling Ty Dolla Sign to buzz the really difficult parts. Formerly of Passion Weiss, he's a writer at large with bylines in a bunch of places, from Vinyl Me Please to Rolling Stone to Noisy and now Vulture, where he has a weekly column about new rap releases. You can find all of his writing on his Twitter at PaulXT. Basically, what I'm saying is, it just makes sense that he joined me for the latest installment of Recommendations. Paul, how are you doing today, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So... Talk to me about this new Casisco album. Casisco, the artist formerly known as Hundreds. Well, first we have to talk about Hundreds. Yeah. Like three, four, five years back, Hundreds was this skinny kid nobody knew anything about from Berkeley mm-hmm. who was making this weird futuristic pimp rap that mm-hmm. like sort of pulled from old West Coast stuff, but also seemed like he was an alien. Yeah. Well, I mean, like he was part of that main attractions crew, right? But yeah. And like their sound was, I mean, I'm talking main attractions as in like Squatta B and right. like their stuff was mainly like very spacey and like soft focus. And yeah. Hundreds was just like very clean and crisp and like really purposeful use of like negative space. But right. And you could like smell the curl activator. It was incredible. <laughs> and he put out um, a mixtape called Ice Cold Perm mm-hmm. and an EP called Ivory that for the people who heard them were sort of like sensations. Mm-hmm. It was a big thing, especially out here. And um, then he fell off the face of the earth. He said that he was going to make new music under his given name, which is Casisco. Mm-hmm. And he put out a few songs that were a little like R&B-ish and nobody liked them because <laughs> they weren't good. Yeah. Talk to me about this new album, Low, where instead of having like, you know, his hair laid and whatnot, it's now curly. Oh, man. So I had forgotten that Casisco was even going to be on the radar of anybody. I forgot he was going to drop new music. I'd basically written him off. Mm-hmm. And I wake up and in my email, it's, oh, the new album from Casisco, Low. And I was like, man, this might just be more throwaway stuff that doesn't work. Uh-huh. And I put it on and the album opens with him at a therapist's office talking about how he kind of hates himself. And then it's just like kind of banger after banger about hating himself and everyone but spending a ton of money at the mall. (laughs) And there are these weird songs in that they're really cleanly structured sometimes as pop records. Uh There are bridges and transitions and second choruses and all these things. Uh But he's still writing like he wrote as hundreds. Like you'll have long diatribes about how rumors about him get back to him, but he's buying a bunch of sax clothes and they're calling in his credit card number. (laughs) And it's this strange discursive music that is like fun and like very mean and very sexual and like bright and technicolor. And it's way better than I thought he was ever going to be after he made that career pivot. Right. Fun and very mean and very sexual is like the hundreds ethos. So I mean, like it's to see that translate into this new era of the, the music that he's making is really cool. What's the best song on the project, do you think? Oh man, I think the best song actually might be the opener, Superficial. Which is just, it's phenomenal. There's this like clapping bridge, it's great. Mm-hmm. My favorite moment on the record is actually that skit where he uh, is called Eulogy and a girl gets up 
Right. So, I mean, sorry to, to back up for everybody listening. The arc of the project, like the concept of it is that it's a funeral slash therapy session. Well, not really. It's one of those like in, in the vein of great rap projects, uh-huh. it sort of gestures at having an overarching concept and kind of throws it away. Like yeah, he, yeah, loses, yeah. he loses the thread in like a really, it's fine. <laughs> and then toward the end of the project, a girl gets up in front of a crowd of people and gives this like tearful monologue about how if she had replied to his come through text, he might still be alive. (laughs) That he texted me at 2 a.m. He said, I hope all is well, stranger. But I knew it did come from the heart because I knew what he was trying to do. So I didn't respond. And then it breaks into another song where he sings about everyone having sex at his funeral. And that's like how he wants to leave the world is everybody having sex with each other at his funeral. But he sounds like mad about it. (laughs) And that's the hundreds arc to me, the Casisco arc. I also want to talk about this new Chris Crack record, uh, Just Give Me a Minute, which prior to reading your column, I knew nothing about the project. And then it opens up and it's just like really tight rapping about like, I don't know, quotidian life, but also it's very generous or liberal samples of like Patrice Russian songs where he goes, yeah, bitch, on the intro or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say like, I don't want to do too much sample snitching on here, but Mm. this Chris Crack record has like 19 samples you'll recognize Mm -hmm. and be like, I wish someone had rapped over these. But Chris Crack is this really vibrant, up-and-coming rapper from Chicago mm-hmm. who for the last couple of years has been just like doing the saturation thing mm-hmm. that a bunch of mixtape artists have done. And the ball is sort of starting to roll for him now. He's got more attention this year. He put out an album called Being Woke Ain't Fun over the summer that was, I think, pretty well received. And then this new one, Just Give Me a Minute, uh, the title actually bears itself out in the structure of the project in that a lot of the songs are like 60 second or a little bit longer sketches, basically. Like he'll get on, he'll rap about going to Ruth's Chris really high and only ordering sides because he's vegan <laughs> and then get out sort of. And he's this very, um, he's like full of personality and he raps in phrases where like some of the syntax is pulled from the internet, some is pulled from like 90s gangster rap. And it's very uh, aggressive in like a winking way. Mm. And on this album in particular, I really love this one. This is my favorite Chris Crack project because the production is so like full of soul and dense and warm. And it's like a real like winter climate album to me. Yeah, it it is. It does feel like a like a wintry album, but also it's just that the there's something kind of intimate about it just because even if you listen to the project and it's only 27 minutes and it's like really worth your time uh there'll be the skips like you can tell like the things that are like just cut and then he was just kind of doing lyrical exercises absolutely like they're not um it's really freeing for him to not think he's going to do three sixteens and a hook mm-hmm. like because he'll go on 20 bar run-ons about his girlfriend's sister and how she's kind of mean to him <laughs> and that's it that's all he has to do and he doesn't wear out concepts um, the other thing we got to talk about is the song titles. Yes, that uh, the Patrice Russian record that I was talking about, uh, "License to Trill," absolutely is. It's maybe just over a minute, but I've listened to it maybe fifteen times. Yeah, like, this morning <laughs> there's new dick who this. Yeah. Like, it's great. It's he's a really 
he's the kind of guy who on Twitter earlier this year, he was doing like a challenge to come up with Chris Crack song titles. Uh-huh. And his fans were just like mocking Nas and like .mp3. And he's kind of like a provocateur sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his music doesn't go totally over the line into trolling. It's still grounded in like, this is his lived experience. And he will kind of like sneak up on you with more emotionally affecting stuff. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, oh, this guy's like dealing with a lot of pain too. Okay, so the Patrice Russian record I was talking about is called License to Trill. That's one of the more tame ones. But there's also Masturbate Before Making Decisions. <laughs> Thirst Aid Kit. 99 Tunchi Turning Down Pussy Builds Character. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. and Don't subtweet your friends. Yeah. And the songs will not have anything to do with the overarching, like will have nothing to do with the title. Not like, at all. It's kind of like the same sensation of like the first, the title that you put down on like a Google Doc, but it's not even close to what ends up being published. And it almost has the feeling of like sometimes people do exercises where they force themselves to free write, just sit down and Mm -hmm. write for 20 minutes and see what comes out. Uh But that would be if the person doing that was like an insanely funny, talented, like gifted rapper. Um, in, In terms of talking about, you know, like really kind of dingy short rap records uh earl sweatshirt released new music this week (laughs) earl sweatshirt man uh well the first of the first single was nowhere to go which came out a little while ago but there's also the mint right so i mean how do you how do you feel about these new earl records i mean i love the new records uh the thing is that I've, you know, like a lot of rap fans, I've loved watching Earl's progression from the Odd Future days into now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing everyone loved about the last album, I Don't Like Shit, I Don't Go Outside, mm-hmm. is that it was very dark and focused. Mm-hmm. And it was very, like, laser-pointed in one direction. And these sort of feel more exploratory, even though they're short. Yeah. It's sort of wor- Earl working stuff out in real time. And I think that's really rewarding because he's uh, like a strangely self-critical writer for as like good he is at writing barbed lines about other people uh-huh. and dissing people and so on. He is really sort of writing about self-improvement a lot of the time, even if you don't notice it. Yeah. And these two definitely have the feeling of he went away for a long time. And he sort of found what's going to work next. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and also he is um, making music a lot like the people that he's been hanging out with recently. Like on The Mint, he shouts out uh, the, the second single, The Mint, featuring Navy Blue, which is actually uh, Sejal Sesser, like the skateboarder for Supreme. But he shouts out his friend Mike, which is a rapper from the Bronx who also put out a really good project called May God Bless Your Hustle, which I found after listening to Nowhere to Go. Um, it's very like pensive and thoughtful and, you know, yes, we're a lot about self-improvement. Well, um, one of the things I like a lot about Earl is that he doesn't hoard his influences. Like he puts people onto new rappers. Yeah. He's not someone who tries to find whatever's hot and whatever's like overlooked and use it for himself. Like he was tweeting about Kaw, he'll tweet about Armin Hammer, he'll do all these things. And one of the things that's interesting on these new songs and I bet on the new album is that it sounds almost like a mock homie album. Mm. who is that very uh, interesting Haitian rapper from, I think, Newark, technically, Mm -hmm. um, who Earl actually produced an EP for last year. You wrote about it, too. I did, Mm -hmm. I think for Pitchfork. 
And he's the kind of, Makami's the kind of guy who will rap over purposefully lo-fi beats, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes without drums, in very, like, unstructured but, like, naturalistic, detail-rich ways. And that's what this Earl sounds like, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely, and, you know, like, not to be cliched about it, but to be cliched about it, sounds like somebody thinking out loud. It's, which is... I honestly find it to be a very enthralling direction. A lot of people don't because there's no drums to it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I personally, and I think you too, I think we agree about this, is I'm very excited for this new album that's coming out this week. Um, Paul, thank you very much for joining Thanks me for to talk me. about rap music. Of course, anytime. That's all we got for y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Lindsay Zolaz and Paul Thompson for coming through. Shout out my producer, Bobby Wagner. Don't forget to check out our playlist that we will be updating every week with the songs we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you fill the room with the rich sounds of everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. And the sound really is rich. I actually plan on getting some Sonos products for my dad this holiday season because I just can't listen to Mini Ripperton through laptop speakers anymore. Go to Sonos. S-O-N-O-S dot com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. Have you always wanted to learn to play a musical instrument but not known where to start? Let the Musician app be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives feedback on your accuracy and timing. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today.